Genesis, the 11th chapter and the 9th verse. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 9. And we're going to continue our study there of the divine institutions. Um, divine institutions established by God, and it's a pretty easy sequence, pretty easy to see going through the book of Genesis in the first 11 chapters. The first 11 chapters deal with the institution of volition. Let us make man our own image, and that includes, obviously, the ability to decide, the free will, the ability to make decisions, and also the responsibility for those decisions. Then we see in chapter 2, we see husband-wife, one man, one woman, that's the divine design, that's the way it is set up and established. And once God sets something up, unless he changes it, we need to leave it the way it is. Because he set up an offering system, then he changed it, and obviously we need to observe the changes. But when he sets something up, as he did in Genesis in the book of beginnings, we need to leave it that way until there is a, until there is a divine sanction for a change. And then we find family. We find the family coming along, and the first family, uh, Adam and Eve, and their first children, Cain and Abel, that didn't work out real well, did it? Uh, but still, the concept of family, and families are what becomes nations. Now we see in the uh, 10th and 11th chapter, we see the, the founding of nations. And right now, the reason we're studying this is because when you want to narrow things down and make sense out of this world of confusion, you look at the very basic core issues of society. And what is the world and the, the world of the flesh and the devil going after? It's going after your ability to decide. It's never anybody's fault anymore. It's always the environment causing it. They go after the husband-wife relationship. They go after the family relationship, saying they're no, more, no longer important, no longer needed, no longer valid. And then they're trying to tear down the borders, not just here in the United States, but all over the world because they want a one-world global government. That's what they see as the best. And where did that come from? came out of Genesis 11. Where did the mindset and the attitude called Babylonianism come from? And it comes right out of these verses. So we're at 11.9. This is the statement where the, right after the Lord scattered them abroad, they were getting ready to do more evil, just like they had done before the flood. He promised not to wipe them out again with water, as he had done earlier, but it was time for discipline, because they were all, all their thoughts were only evil continually. That's what they were proposing to do. So in 11.9, he scatters them out, and this is where we're going to see what type of mindset and thought process has carried on throughout all of the millennia since this particular event. Before we begin, let's take a few moments for prayer. Uh, let's push away all of the onslaught of the world. I'm sure you've noticed it's a barrage. It's a nonstop barrage of, of stuff that is just loaded with error. And what we try to do in the scripture is find out simply how to understand things so that we can simply make evaluations that are in line with the way God sees things. And that's what we're looking for this morning. So let's push all this stuff of the world aside. Let us go in front of the throne of grace. Let's let the word of God be our teacher this morning. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, 
Father, again, we thank you for your blessings, your tests, your opportunities. We thank you for all that you poured out in front of us. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for its inspiration, for its preservation, and for its relevance to us today. So, Father, I pray that we would learn things this morning, and not just learn them, but understand them properly, be able to remember them and use them wisely. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in 11.9, after 11.8, so the Lord scattered them. He footsed them, is what it says. He footsed them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. And they, which is the bulk of the population, stopped building the city. Now, what happened? They journeyed together. They didn't want to leave. They didn't want to be divided. They wanted to stay together. If we would have went all the way through chapter 10 in the context... Nimrod became their leader, and uh, the, some of the stories about Nimrod that go back to the ancient myths, he was anything but a good leader. His, his sole uh, good trait was he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, so he could provide meat for people to eat and that type of thing. But as far as his thought process, he and his mom were a mess together, and they have founded a lot of things that have carried on uh, up through today, in fact. And what was their, one of their biggest fears? Lest we be scattered abroad across the face of the earth. What are we going to do? Build the tower with its head in the heavens. What are we gonna, how are we going to make it? Baked bricks. We're going to make it waterproof. We're going to make it so we can escape the flood. We're going to save ourselves. So you see the whole mentality developing here. Now verse 9 says, Therefore... Uh, all Kem is the Hebrew, the way it uh, comes about. All is concerning. Kem is thus. Concerning thus, that's where we get the therefore. Its name was called Babel. Because there, which is the word Sham, uh, the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. Now the word confused is Balal. The interesting word, that's exactly what it means to confuse or to mix, to throw everything into a container and shuffle it up and shake it up and mix it all up. And he says, the language, which is literally the lip, he just flip-flops some things in the labials, is what he's saying, basically to change the language into 70 languages is what we're going to have initially. Of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. So the Hebrew name for the city means confusion. And it reveals its apostasy. It is loaded with confusion. Babel means the gate of God in Sumerian language. Sumerian is one of the first cultures we know anything about. We know more about it than we know about the ancient Chinese. We know a lot more about ancient Sumer. They had written records. They had a line of kings and a succession of kings. They kept track of their military conquest. Like the rest of the world, they didn't keep track of their defeats. But they did keep track of their military conquest. It also is known as the place of the seed of life. So this Babel means the gate of God in ancient Sumerian. So that's where they, that's what they saw. Going all the way back to the flood, 2300 B.C., this Tower of Babel, probably around 2150 B.C., roughly, and this is what the word meant at, at the first. The dominant feature of the city was the ziggurat. 
named Entomenanke, which means house of the foundation of heaven and earth. Now, this ziggurat's called by other names, Esagila. We've seen it earlier on in the notes, and it's just different um, namings of the same structure. Their main gods were Marduk and Nabu. Their names, let us manufacture a name for ourselves. They had rejected the name, Shem, which is above all names, Yahweh, Adonai, Elohim. They had rejected the name, and they were going to make a name for themselves. And actually, they made more than one, which you would kind of expect, because probably they made one, and that one didn't answer their prayers, so they made another one, trying to get that other one to answer their prayers. Neither one of them did. Later, the city contained 180 shrines for Ishtar, more than 1,800 niches, pedestals, or sacred places for other deities. It kind of became a uh, contest in the ancient world, if you will, to see how many shrines you can make for your deities. Inside the Shwedagon in Yangon, Burma, we used to know it as Rangoon, if you've... Uh, Watch some of the old World War II films, Rangoon, Burma. It was the British name of the city. When they ceded control to it, it became Yangon, Myanmar, and it has changed now. But inside there, if you go visit, uh, if you go visit Yangon, you have to go to the Shui Dagon if you go as a tourist, which is really the only way to go. And then when you go inside the Shui Dagon, what you find is there's over 2,000 different uh, shrines set up to worship Buddha. It was built 500 years before Christ. And the central spire, which is over 300 feet tall, it's overlaid with like, like 300 tons of pure gold or something. It's amazing how much uh, gold is on that particular spire. I was there a long time ago, and I think they're getting ready to put 20 more tons over it. And they uh, people outside, not not 500 feet away, starving in the streets. Now, this is how stupid the worship of other gods actually is because uh, that's, not, that's not what our God thinks. He'd rather take care of people than have shrines built to himself. And that's just the, the simple uh, element of it. I was in Calcutta one time. The guide said, there is, uh, let's see, Queen Elizabeth built that uh, shrine to... Um, St. Paul, St. Paul's Basilica there in uh, uh, Calcutta. And what do you think about that? And I said, I think the Apostle Paul would have said, feed the people. Don't build me a building and no need for it. Because people literally starving in the streets right outside of it. And they're going to keep this thing in pristine condition. Anyway, what are some of the elements of Babylonianism? Now, Babylonianism, let's just take some simple things that are easy to see in this, in this narrative. First, is that human intellect turns against God. And we see that in, in the baked bricks. See, mud bricks are not going to withstand any water. They started baking them. That means there's been some science come along. And what we find is that in Babylonianism, there's a heavy reliance on so-called science. But what I find interesting is that, that uh, science that starts with the premise of leaving God out has started in the wrong direction to begin with. 
When you look at so-called science, it must be measurable, it must be observable, and it must be repeatable. Those are the three standards of science. Well, who was here when the heavens and earth were created? Uh, nobody. So it's all a step of faith as to where you begin. So if you're going to leave God out of it, you've started in the wrong direction to begin with. Human intellect turns against God, so-called science. And many of you, I'm sure, have noticed, especially over the last 18 months, how science has changed dramatically on a whim. It's just amazing since I was in high school and you were in high school. It's amazing the earth got 10 billion years older in 50 years. It amazes me how much older the earth got in 50 years. That's, that's striking to me. But it's science. Science makes mistakes. And uh, that's been quite obvious for anybody paying attention. Human intellect turns against God. We find human wisdom devises a way to save itself. We learn from James 3 that there is a wisdom from below and a wisdom from above. There's a wisdom that comes down from God, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shifting shadow. There is a wisdom that is from the earth that is earthly, natural, and demonic, is the way it describes it. So human wisdom devises a way to save itself. Now see, there's, if, if you realize you're a sinner facing eternity... You either have to find a way to save yourself or you have to find a savior. So if you push God out of the equation, you've got to find a way to save yourself. And what are we trying to do now? How is that, how is that being done now in Babylonianism? Because I think it's called climate change. We're going to save the planet. News for you, we can't save the planet. I think there was a big spill from the British Petroleum Company in the Gulf of Mexico back about 10, 12 years ago. I lose track of time, kind of like some of you do too. Things fly by so fast. You go, well, last year, no, it was 10 years ago that happened. Anyway, there was an oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico that was going to mess up the environment for 100 years. Any of you remember that? First statements that came out? You know what was... There on the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico, five years later, it had all been absorbed. That oil spill had all been absorbed. was taken care of. Man can't destroy the planet. Man can't sustain the planet. It is beyond man's capability to do that. But human wisdom says we're going to figure out a way to save ourselves. And because we don't trust in God, we don't believe there's an almighty, and on and on. Human wisdom devises a way to save itself. That's like, let us build a tower. Let us get, put it out of baked bricks. Let us save ourselves. Rebellion towards the God seeks to make a new God. That's another thing. It's going to make a name for themselves. That's the thing about false gods. They're manufactured by men. They're manufactured. Why would you, not, why would you worship something made of um, stone or wood? Why would you manufacture it? It's manufactured. Why would you worship it? You're going to worship the works of your own hands? Do you think you're God? Well, people often don't like to say that, but that's exactly what they're doing. That's what the function is when they do that. Uh, seeking a new God. You know what the new God is now that's being pushed on the whole earth? I think they call it government. 
Government can save you. Government can fix all of your problems. Government can meet all your needs. Government can tell you what you need to eat, how you need to live, what clothing you need to wear, where you need to get your energy sources from. Government can tell you all the good things. I think it was Reagan that said the biggest lie ever fostered on mankind was, I'm here from the government and I'm here to help you. Why do people look to the government for as their savior and deliverer from, in a lot of cases, their own stupidity? It's because they push God out of their life. They push God out of their life. Then we find that fear is used to promote collectivism. That's the word come that they use three times in there. Remember, come, let us make bricks. Come, let us build a tower. Come, let us build a city. Let's do these things ourselves. That's an urgency. And it's a word that denotes that there's fear behind it. And how do they, how do they bring this about? By manipulation through fear. Fear tactics. People are, that's what they try to do, is get people afraid of their own shadow. And then they're going to provide a solution for them, which normally is found in the government. Fear is used to promote collectivism. And then we find that collectivism is seen as salvation. What was their biggest fear? Lest we be scattered abroad on the face of the earth. What did they think? Well, we'll get all these numbers together and getting all these, keeping us all together, that's going to protect us. My question, from what? There wasn't any opposing nations out there at this point in time. There was only one group of people. Why were they afraid of being scattered abroad? Where, where did it come about? Were they afraid that they made up some kind of supernatural enemy? Oh, were they, did they start thinking about this God that brought a flood on the whole earth? I believe they all knew that literally happened. Only 150 years after the flood, they knew it literally happened. Now, <clears throat> what were they afraid of? He was going to get mad at them again and flood them again? What was the promise? I'll never flood, I'll never flood the earth again with water. Never. See, it's a rejection of the promise of God. And you see it building, building this tower. Collectivism, it becomes a form and it's seen as salvation. Let's all come together. It's, it's amazing the arrogance of people that think that you can take a collectivist system and make it work because it's never worked in the history of the world. Why don't they listen to people like trying to get out of Cuba and wanting to have freedom? Why don't they listen to them? Because they know what it really means. You know, there's, they're <laughs> pushing things now in this country that if you say anything against the president, you can be subject to a jail term. You know where else we ran into that? Belarusia. If you say anything against the government, anything against the president, anything that can be construed as being against them, it's a two-year jail term. Do you know how long you get, get to uh, appeal that and drag it out in their courts? About two days. You're brought before the tribunal, and the next thing you know, you're headed to, headed to jail. Now, see, that's what authoritarianism does that's what collectivism does because the elites in charge have to keep control of the masses underneath that's the only way that it works 
was going through some old pictures the other day in Red Square where they had this basically an altar in the middle of Red Square and that's where heads were cut off during the Bolshevik Revolution till the blood ran into the river. Now that's how they brought about their exercise of power. Uh, those are facts. Those are true. And they actually have shrines and monuments set up and, and built to them. I have a picture of me standing on the steps there, and I remember that. Collectivism is seen as salvation. It doesn't work. And it's actually mass confusion. People don't know who to believe, what to believe, because you may have noticed governments sometimes intentionally lie, and sometimes they unintentionally lie. But governments are fallible is the whole point. So we're called, actually, in Scripture, to look at everything for ourselves. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Workmen that do not need to be ashamed. Handling accurately, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what we're called to do. I remember the Bereans you found in the book of Acts. And they used to study the Scriptures daily for themselves. That was a good thing. Read the Bible. Study it. Ask questions about it. Try to understand it. Pray that you not only know what it says. Sometimes people have verses memorized don't understand what the verse means. Okay? Pray that you not only know the verse, you understand what it means. And then pray for the wisdom to apply it to your everyday life. Now, God sees this as evil. And he frustrates it. And one day he's going to judge it. These languages. Now here's a somewhat of a map. And I know it's hard to see. We're going to fix that one of these days. We're working on it. But this, this is a map of the world. Seventy nations. When you go through and add all of them up. And you take Genesis 10, Genesis 11. Seventy nations came out of the table of nations. With that, because of a confusion of languages. There were 70 languages that came out of the Tower of Babel, and God just went in, supernaturally changed some memory centers, some understanding in the brains of people. That's how you change, okay, you have to change something in here. And he's the one that confused the languages. But it, the languages were not confusing to the people that, that knew them. And so he went into the families, and he decided to, who was a family, he dealt with the genetics and everything else, and that group of people that were going to be together, they got their own language. And India got all the rest <laughs> that were there. <clears throat> I think they figured there's 20, I know there's 26 main languages in India, and they say there's somewhere on the order of 2,000 dialects. And the Bible Society is trying to to do them all. Do a Bible in every one of those dialects. It's, uh, it's fascinating the work that they do. But see God sees this as, as evil. This globalism, this one world government, this collectivism, this trying to make a name for yourself, trying to save yourself, he sees it as evil and one day he's going to judge it. He's going to give it the freedom to function. But that doesn't mean he's going to make it easy. He's going to slow it down because it would, it would uh, pursue to ultimate evil way too fast. So he will slow it down along the way. So here is one world proceeding toward evil. Just like they had done prior to the flood. 
And he says, what am I going to do about it? He went in and he says, I know, I'll just change their language. And I'll scatter them. That which they feared will come upon them. All of this has to do with the angelic conflict, the battle with Satan and all that. It's not, we're not going into that now, but it's all got to do with this fight between God and Satan that happened before Adam and Eve came into existence. Now, the gift of languages and interpretation were given to the church. There was no gift of languages given uh, prior to the day of Pentecost, but it was given to the church to reach the dispersed of Israel who were then to reach the entire earth. See, right now, if you want to go be a missionary, we asked some friends that uh, have been here, the, the, the Dunlaps, they're going through language school right now in Israel, and they're learning how to, how to do things. And so they're learning how to speak uh, modern Hebrew and how to get along. It takes a while to do that. People want to go anywhere else, then guess what happens? People that want to go anywhere else, they usually have to stop and learn a language. That's a two to three year program to learn somebody else's language before they can go minister and, and serve. The gift of languages or tongues as it's translated in different, different books. In fact, I asked um, uh, uh, Solo in uh, India, I asked him, uh, what a, how do you, is the word language and tongue the same word in Malayalam, Hindi. He said, yeah, it's the same word. So there's no way to distinguish between the two. But that gift of tongues is a gift of languages. So it is not an unknown language. It was a language that was known, but had not been learned by the one using the gift. And what examples are our, the Apostle Thomas, I mentioned, walked all the way across the southern end of India, landed on the west coast, died on the east coast, and I asked the pastors there one time, they said, there are probably 200 dialects of different languages going across the tribal area of southern India. And when Thomas walked into a village, he didn't say, I need a translator. Thomas walked into the village with the gospel in their language. Because that's what the gift was about. He didn't want to use a translator, interpreter. God gave them the ability to go in and get the gospel clearly to people to begin with. The church of St. Thomas still exists today in India. Now, it's not quite, I don't know if Thomas would have recognized it today or not, but the church of St. Thomas does still exist. Didn't the Lord say, you go do this fruit because your fruit's going to remain. He told his disciples that. And that's proof of the fact that it, that it indeed has. God sees as, as evil, frustrates it, and one day will judge it. And this is the gift of languages and interpretation. That is what it was for. The gospel is for people of every tribe and nation and people and language. That is what it is for. Now, <clears throat> the applications... So what do we learn out of this importance of nationalism? Divinely established by God. Because we are part of a nation right here in the United States. And we're reminded of Philippians 2, 14 to 16. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault. In a warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine among them like the stars in the sky 
as you hold firmly to the word of life. What are we to do with this? We're supposed to be the light in the middle of the darkness. The dark is getting darker. And one thing the dark doesn't like is the light. Have you ever noticed that when you speak truth to dishonesty? The response is not always what you want it, want it to be. But that's what we are called to do. We're called to do the right thing. Let God work it out. Now, <clears throat> the secret battle for ideas about God. This is uh, the key points out of a book done by Jeff Myers of Summit Ministries. If you're not familiar with them, <clears throat> they've been around a long time. Started by David Noble uh, probably 50, 60 years ago. They're up in the Colorado Springs area. And they are a tremendous ministry. And what they focus on is teaching uh, young people, high schoolers, college-age kids, uh, teaching them basic core principles of a Christian worldview. They teach them how to identify false worldviews. They give them information how to combat it. They prepare them for high school and or college. It's a two-week program, the two-week course. They do offer those for uh, adults as well, some training courses. Summit Ministries is a very good ministry. We need more of them. Now, <clears throat> uh, David Noble retired. He's a good man. I met him two or three times, and uh, he wrote a book called Understanding the Times. Long time ago, he's updated it a couple of times. Been updated by Jeff Myers, who took took his place. May have, may be his son-in-law. I'm not sure, but they uh, wrote a book, Understanding the Times. We've made those available through Trinity more than once, and they give you a full outline, a broad-based view of what is Marxism, what what is uh, uh, Hinduism, what is a New Age spirituality. It's a excellent work found in one one volume there's a smaller book out that we went through in fact I think we still have some cards on the back table back there the the secret battle for ideas about God we ordered a bunch for the church years ago I forget how many <laughs> two years or ten I don't remember but anyway they're all gone they were they were free and I went online to order some more because I know we've got some people don't have them. So I went online to order some more. And I was going to order them from Summit. And they didn't have any to order. So then I went to Amazon. And they had them at about 50% markup. And I don't care for Amazon anyway. So I didn't order it. So I'll see if I can find some. I'll go ahead and get it. If you can get them, go ahead and get it. It's a small book. It's an easy read. Very, very informative and this is a summary of it. The secret battle for ideas about God. First of all, step one. How do you battle this stuff that we run into? How do you battle? How do you battle Babylonianism? How do you battle this worldview that is so anti-theistic, anti-the Christian God? How do you battle this thing? First thing is identify the core belief. Identify the core belief. Now he's broken it down. <clears throat> into five different areas. David had it in about 15 different areas, and it's been summarized and uh, uh, shortened, which makes it easier for us to remember. We're going to see that one, one belief deals with secularism. Secularism, which is atheism. That's what 
secular, um, secular humanism is otherwise known as atheism, and it is a religion with a, with a worldview. Secularism, we see Marxism, another one we're going to take a look at. The third one is postmodernism, and the fourth one is a new spirituality, and the last one is Islam, five major worldviews today that are, that are on the scene. Now, <clears throat> identify the core belief. That means you need to know a little bit about each of these. Secularism, life is about control. It's run by power. It is quite neatly fits into the verse that says, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. Oftentimes it's all about freedom, but it's irresponsible freedom. Biblical freedom <clears throat> carries a responsibility with it to not harm your neighbor, neighbor, but to love your neighbor. Biblical freedom carries a responsibility with it of righteousness and justice, not, not uh, lawlessness and wickedness. And that's the way it gets redefined. <clears throat> to, to a secular humanist, life is about control. Because they think they know more than anybody else. <clears throat> to a Marxist, <clears throat> life is about capital. It's about capital. All the bad capitalists that are out there. That's what a Marxist don't, don't care for, the, the capitalism that's out there. But it's amazing how they become capitalists themselves because they want all the wealth brought into themselves. It's all about things. It's all about these things that we have out here. Who's in charge? Who's in control? Who owns what? So <clears throat> there's secularism. It's about control. Marxism, it's about capital. Postmodernism, which is about context. Now, life is about context, so it means that only the immediate context has any value. The past doesn't. History doesn't. It's only the immediate context that has any value to it. And when you're living only for today, that's called hedonism. Because that comes about of all you think about is old number one. <clears throat> And we write books about it. People make millions of dollars. Uh, there was a book a long time, 30 years ago, looking out, for old num looking out for number one. And it really taught a lot about how to, uh, uh, how to become a hedonist. If you didn't already know, then you could learn real easy. It's like a course in self-love. Self then there is the new spirituality. New spirituality is a fancy word to say Hinduism. Because Hinduism is a word that has to do with uh, uh, it's all right what you believe as long as you believe it. But of course, leave it to the Hindus and everybody else. They have their sects within Hinduism, like the BJP party that runs India right now. And they want <clears throat> everybody in India to be Hindu. They don't want any Christians, Muslims, atheists. They don't want anybody in India that's not that. And that's where they're headed. They are trying to expunge them. And part of the way they've done that, without just openly uh, trying to uh, kill them off yet, is that they have made anti-proselyte laws. You cannot convert from one religion to another without going in front of a magistrate. And if you do... If you have any government help coming in, you lose it. 
it's gone. If you're an old person and you convert and you're living on a government stipend as a retirement or something, it's gone. That's the, that's the way it works. So they're just trying to, by attrition, do away with everybody that is not, not uh, Hindu. Now this says life is about consciousness and they're all into ex expanding the consciousness. <clears throat> they do it with all kinds of drugs, incense, uh, alcohol, everything that you can possibly imagine. The new spirituality, life is about consciousness. What, is, what was that one that Richard, the movie Richard Gere was in? Butterfly Effect. Long time ago where this butterfly flaps its wings in Africa. Y'all remember that? Everything is so, so totally integrated with one another. This butterfly goes shh, 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 and the wind current picks up and it multiplies and it becomes a hurricane off the coast of Florida. That's the butterfly effect. Everything is so interrelated and interconnected. It's a cosmic consciousness. Therefore, if you believe that, you believe that standards and morals all change with the cosmic consciousness. And it plays right into postmodernism when it's only about the immediate context that makes any difference. The new spirituality, life is about consciousness. And anything you can do to expand your consciousness is a good idea. And Islam, life's about conquering. Yeah, <clears throat> if you don't join, die, infidel. And I mean, that's written in their books. It's taught in their, in their mosque. That's what they actually believe. Now, some of them are not good, is, uh, not good Muslims, just like there's some that are not good Christians. That's just the way it goes. But there's a, a good one is one that follows the teachings of the Quran of Allah. Now, <clears throat> after you identify the core belief, <clears throat> isolate the core argument. What's the main argument that comes from it? Because if you know this, you're able to identify what is, what is going on. Isolate the core argument. Identify, isolate. <clears throat> Secularism says spiritual issues are a creation of the human imagination. <clears throat> That's a secular humanist. They believe that anything that has to do with spiritual issues, that's a figment of your imagination. Something that people have just made up. Here's what is called the zeitgeist now, the so-called spirit of the times. And this, is, uh, this was going around, part of why we started writing that, that uh, second foundations book. <clears throat> because of just that, there was a movie circulating around the internet called Zeitgeist, about two hours long. And it blamed every religion for the problems in the world. Now, any spiritual issue <clears throat> is a creation of the human imagination. That's secularism. The zeitgeist, the spirit of the times, if you will, has to do with there is no valid religion whatsoever. Of course, in saying that, they establish their own, but they don't care about their own hypocrisy and lack of reason that goes with that. But spiritual issues are creation of the human imagination. We find Marxism. <clears throat> Their whole approach is there's some rich people are greedy. Do you think? Maybe that's the case. 
Somewhere along the line in history, some rich people are greedy. But what do they do? All rich people are greedy. So if all rich people are greedy, therefore confiscation of wealth is justified because it needs to be run by the collective. It needs to decide how to use these things. Now we've seen in recent times, especially over this last year, we've seen greed exhibited by some of the major um, the wealthiest people in the world. They're so wealthy and all they want is more. And they do about anything to do it. They'll manipulate people. They'll buy congressmen. They'll whatever. Confiscation of wealth is justified to them. And see, that's, that's Marxism, is it not? What happens when a Marxist takes over? They nationalize the private industry. What happened in Venezuela? One time, very prosperous nation. What happened? The socialists got in because they decided, people decided that, hey, we needed to share this wealth that's coming out of our ground in Venezuela. It was a very prosperous nation. I think as Margaret Thatcher said, socialism's fine till you run out of other people's money. And then what happens? They nationalized the oil uh, rigs that were built by private enterprise on the outside, and they made them their own. Boy, what a wonderful way to do things. What about other locations? Uh, Russia. It's not easy to own a piece of property over in Russia. You have to go through what I think they're original people of red tape. Uh, <clears throat> I know uh, people in that part of the world that tried to build a stairway from the first floor to the second floor uh, in a church building. And it's unbelievable what they had to go through just to build a stairway. Planning and zoning, but they had to build it out of a certain rock. To build it out of a certain rock, they had to have a certain permit. And it went on and on and on. It was a year to build this stairway with 14 steps to get from the first floor to the second floor. And they do that to keep people busy in their collective society doing unimportant tasks that could have been done quite easily. What would we do still in the freedom we have in this country? We wanted some kind of rocks. We wanted some kind of things cut for our stairwells. We could call somebody that works in marble or granite or something. Hey, this is what I need. They come out and measure it. They cut it, come put it in, and it's done. You don't need 18 different uh, inspectors to go through everything and get it, get it done. But they want it. They confiscate the wealth so that they can control it. What happens when governments start confiscating land and private land and private property? And it's been a part of our country for a long time. The right of eminent domain is what they call it. If they want something for public use, you cannot stop them. It's been around a long time. If it starts being misused, then there's a problem. Marxism. <coughs> Isolate the core argument, postmodernism. Often religious people lie. So no religious message should be believed. This postmodern viewpoint and mentality takes things, they put it into this day's context, they redefine the words that are found. And I was thinking the other day, you know, how many books have we got electronically now? People are going to electronic books. I think we need to hang on to the ones that are paper was looking at a 
Webster's Dictionary the other day, and I thought, you know, that's really a valuable book because it gives us definitions of words that aren't ever-changing like you find in Wikipedia. Okay? <clears throat> Often religious people like true statement. Why? They're frail. They're fallen. Says are all. Do you think that you can become a postmodern and never lie again? I guess some of them do. New spirituality. Forces are at work beyond what we can see. Therefore, God must be a force rather than a person. Must be a force rather than a person. That's a Star Wars mentality. The force be with you. Change the O to an A and you have the farce be with you. Because that's a lot closer to what is really <coughs> going on. <coughs> Must be a force. This is part of the cosmic consciousness. This is part of Hinduism in a way. You know what? It's part of the occult. And I don't want you to invite you to study the occult. <coughs> At the top of the occult hierarchy is what is called the solar logos. And that sound logos is word, right? Solar Logos, which is an impersonal force that guides the universe. Right below him in the occult hierarchy is an angel by the name of Lucifer. Right below him are 12 ascended mastered Boganavitas, and they are the 12 like apostles. See the counterfeits that run with this with the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, etc. And under them are the 70 Sound like another counterfeit with Moses, the 70 elders. Only here they've got the 70 that are ascended masters that are basically those who have become demon-possessed and risen to the level of ascended master. And so what do they call Jesus? He's an ascended master. So they deny the master who bought them. They do not believe that he paid for your sins. It is another Jesus. It's a new age Jesus, if you will. <clears throat> God must be a force rather than a person. And Islam, people naturally rebel against God, only their God is Allah. Therefore, they should be forced to submit. It's a natural rebellion of people. True. So they must be forced to submit. Now, <clears throat> What have, we, what have we got? Identify, isolate the core argument, inform with the truth, and use different methods to provide truthful data. Teach people. Teach people how to think. Challenge their thinking. If it is not reasonable, learn to ask questions. And why would you think that way? Or what led you to that conclusion? Learn how to ask good questions. Trey Gowdy actually wrote a book I haven't finished yet. How to ask good questions. How to ask good questions. Asking people and a way to try and get them to think. And use different methods to do them. How to find the truth. And <clears throat> the fourth step is invest time and resources. Invest. So what do, what do we want to do? We want to identify, isolate, inform, and invest. Invest our time and our resources. And part of the way we do that is we live what we know to be true. And we seek those who will listen to us. 
teach others how to find truth. Try to live your life in a way that honors the Almighty and lead other people to Him. That's, that's, that's our calling. That's our role. That's what, we, that's what God wants us to do. It is that which is pleasing in His sight. And if we don't know how, ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom because He will give it. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for your amazing word. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to come together once again in a free country and open up your word. Thank you for letting us see the beginnings of nations. Thank you for letting us see the fact you have ordained them. And Father, we pray that we will come to recognize the wiles of the enemy and that we will be given the wisdom uh, and the knowledge to be able to lead people out of the darkness that they are in. Father, we ask for that, that you might be honored. In Jesus' name, amen.